We are in chapter 2 of Romans. Please turn there. Now I'm going to start by going backwards a little bit and I want to read to you some of the closing verses. Just a few. At that grim list of sins committed by people not walking with the Lord. Now what I want to do is I want to preface this by saying that we get caught up sometimes in the word sin or sins because it can have such a negative effect and it definitely has a a negative effect, death. But the point that I want to make is that it means missing Jesus. If you want to put it in in a common way, common terms, it means missing Jesus. Not allowing our lives to be lived through and in the Lord. And that is a death. Just like it's being a, it's a born again relationship when we give our heart to Jesus. We become a new person because of the infilling of God's Holy Spirit in our life. So don't let that stop you. And now as we go through that or get you confused, as we go through this list, just remember these are ways that people miss God. And if you associate it with your life or associate it with the life of people around us and to our world, you'll see why, again, from last week's teaching, why the world's in the shape that it's in. Or maybe we're in that shape individually. And I think that's really the problem, isn't it? The problem is that that people are not walking with Jesus. And they're doing all kinds of strange and weird things. What's this thing with baby formula? I don't, I don't get it. But don't panic, young ladies that have young moms. We all made it on whole milk and, and uh, I started to say ice cream. We all make it on ice cream. But whole milk and, uh, you know, a little something to sweeten that up. I mean, there's, you can get by. You can survive. If you go to the store and they don't have formula, there's other ways to go about it. Talk to any of the older ladies here who've been through that, and they can help you along. But look at this list. Romans 1, 28. It says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind. You know, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to by old uh, commentators as the hound of heaven, meaning that he will just keep coming and he will keep after you. He'll keep, God will keep coming to you and saying, give your life to me, give your life to me. If you didn't do it last week or the week before or a month before or six months ago or you haven't ever done it, the Holy Spirit will keep coming to you. But there will be a time, and we have to be careful of this, that if we continue to avoid God, we continue to do the things he doesn't want us to do, we continue to reject him every time he makes himself available to us, there will be a time when he finally says, if that's the way you want to go, I can't stop you. Now don't get me wrong, that's not an act of, uh, that's that's an act of love. It might seem like it's not, but we've all raised kids, right? And they get to a certain point where you've told them and 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 they reach a certain age where you just have to let go. You've taught them all you can teach them up to that point in time and anything you say more, it's just going in one ear and out the other. So it says that God gave them over to a debased mind, meaning to follow whatever weird passions that they wanted to follow. Sometimes it's in those failings. Sometimes it's your face on the ground that we finally say, God, I give up. And he loves to hear that. He loves us to hear, to hear us say, we give up trying to do it on our own, Lord. So he gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, proper. You ladies, you know what it's like to get a fitting for a wedding dress or whatever else, tailoring. It doesn't fit. You go in and you make it fit. So they're doing things that don't fit. They're not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, even Uh, excuse me, evil-mindedness. Now, I want to go back through this just a little bit. All unrighteousness. Sexual immorality. It amazes me today how many Christians think that this is okay. 
You talk to Christians and they're going, oh, God doesn't, God doesn't mind if we do this. God doesn't matter. He, you know, he doesn't care if we live together. He doesn't care if I sleep with this person or if I sleep with this. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And please think about somebody other than, we've got to think of someone other than ourselves. We've got to think of the possibility of that little baby, that child. Now, the world's answer to that problem, just kill them. I'm sorry, that's harsh. I know it's harsh. But the world's answer to the problem is not change your morality. It's not change sleeping around. Their solution is just kill the baby. That's the debased mind that we're talking about. Wickedness. Well, that can, that's a big category, isn't it? Covetousness, wanting what we don't have. Maliciousness, doing things on purpose, out of spite, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. It doesn't mean they run around going, hey, have you ever, we have a few whisperers in our church, but not the bad kind. Just once, quiet talker, have you ever talked to a quiet talker? And I, you know, I know I'm getting older, but sometimes you just, I can't hear a word that they're saying. I'm moving closer, and I'm moving closer. And you're like nose to nose almost trying to be able. That's not the kind of whisper I'm talking about. These are backbiting whispers. You see that listed next, back, backbiters. They whisper, they gossip, they stick their nose in things that they don't need to have their nose in. Always trying to be somebody else's righteousness, somebody else's Holy Spirit. Instead of just doing what God's called them to do and finding joy in what God's called them to do. And if they see see someone in error, to pray for them out of love. Ask God to help them see or help them change. Backbiters. Haters of God. Violent. Proud. Boasters. Inventors of evil things. Have you ever had somebody take credit for something you did? (laughs) If you work, you probably have. Right? You've come up with an idea, somebody took it, you've um, presented something, and the next thing you know, they go, no, we can't use it, and then six months later, you know, they've used that. That happens. But boasting, we really have to watch that, don't we? Because we want to make sure that everybody knows we did that. We, we, we like letting people know that, that we're valuable too. But you know, there comes a time when we have to just say, you know what, God, you lift up nations and you take them down. You lift up kings and you take them down. So, you know, if you, if you want that to be credited to my name, then fine. But you know what, when you get to heaven, it's going to be on the roll. It'll be on the books. So you may not get the recognition here, but God has a record of all of that. Bolsters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents. Man, every time I read that, it seems so out of place. Kinda. Kinda. I mean, he's got a, these are some pretty bad people. These are some pretty bad habits. And all of a sudden, he slips in disobedient to parents. You know why I think he does that? Because isn't that where it starts? Isn't that kind of where it starts? Isn't that where you kind of want to stand on your own two feet and you go through a period of time to where you're smarter than everybody on the planet? Especially mom and dad. And we kind of start developing our attitude towards sin, I think, a lot of times at home. That's when we start lying. That's when we start rebelling. That's when we start saying, you don't trust me. Well, no, I don't trust you because you're a little boogerhead. And you lie to me. You know, it's always amazed me when somebody will just lie and lie and lie and then turn around and say, well, you don't trust me. Well, no, I don't trust you. I'm not an idiot. But that's kind of where it starts. It's where we kind of start developing. You guys know, you, you have a child, they're just the cutest little things in the world, Right? And, and you, you, they turn into toddlers, and toddlers are awesome. And they're really good up until about, I don't know, four? No, it's a little later than that. But then all of a sudden, that child 
that you put so much love into, diapered them, cleaned them, took care of them, sacrificed for them. All of a sudden, one day they stand up in defiance. And it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. But usually there's a turnaround period. Unfortunately, it comes quite a while later. For some people, it's 20 years old. For some people, it's 50. (laughs) But it takes a while sometimes for us to turn around and see the value that our moms or our dads gave to us. And if many, you know, those of you who live in a single parent environment like I did, you begin to realize how much your mom gave or how much, if it's your dad, your dad gave in order to keep that family together and not end up in a foster home somewhere. But I think you turn around at some point and you go, you know, um, I've been wrong regarding this. I, I've, got, I've got anger or bitterness or whatever towards my parents and all they ever tried to do was just help take care of me. You know, we don't come with owner's manuals except for this. And so in a lot of cases, mom and dad are trying to figure it out as they go. God help you if you're a firstborn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they're working everything out on you. <laughs> They've never done this before. So I think that's why the disobedient to parents is in there. And if you and I don't correct that, we start falling into all these other ones. All right, so undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, spiritual death, not only they do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. You ever notice that your kids kind of start polarizing towards certain people? Even adults do that. Adults that don't know Jesus will polarize to people who will validate their behavior, validate their sin. Somebody to go to the bars to, somebody to talk about this or talk about that with. This letter is to the church in Rome. It's mostly Gentile, but there are a few there too. It's not all Gentile. There were the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's trying to write a letter to both of them kind of at the same time, and there's really a a divide between them because both sides of them have their religious rituals. And you might say, well, what's that? Guys, just look around. Some of you have been to churches where there were lots of rituals, lots of rites, lots of things you had to do, lots of hoops you had to jump through. And even after all that was done, you didn't know for sure that you were saved and you didn't know for sure if God loved you, even though you were doing your best to try to jump through those hoops. Well, Paul is trying to take the freedom that there is in Jesus Christ to both of those groups. He's trying to get both of them to listen. But these groups didn't like each other very much. And as a result of it, there was a lot of judging that was going on. We have to be careful about judging people, don't we? What's the first thing you say when somebody cuts you off on the freeway, Steve? (laughs) I cut Steve off one day. Didn't even know it was him. Until I saw him outside going like this, and then I knew it was Steve. No, it was Julie. We'd go by, and Julie, Julie's like, <laughs> you did, you did, I know you did. She was looking at us, and we, you know, we were like, sorry. <laughs> but what's the first thing you say when somebody cuts you off? Idiot. <laughs> right? <laughs> we don't go, praise the Lord. God, you're giving me an opportunity to show grace and mercy this morning, and I thank you for that. We have to be careful about judging because we all judge. Later on, they're going to be talking about the the speck in someone's eye and the log in another person's eye, the speck in the center and the log in the guy that's, you know, putting them down for it. And the scripture saying, you got to take that log out of your own eye before you mess with the with the speck in the other brother's eye. We'll get to some of that as we as we go along. 
Now, Paul's trying to explain why what he's saying applies to both groups. And the reality of it is, Christianity applies to everyone. You know, you might say, well, all paths lead to the same. No, no, they don't. Well, all the gods, they're all talking about the same God. No, they're not. No, they're not. So he's trying to show them how all of the, the hoops that they've had to jump through, that they don't have to jump through those hoops. That God has an ability and a way to forgive them for anything and everything they have ever done and wipe the slate clean. Now, I don't know about you guys, but many of us were really good at sin. Right? We knew how to sin and we perfected it. And some of us messed up our lives so much that if it wasn't for God's grace, we could never get there. We could never get there. So there has to be a plan where God says, if you do this, it's wiped clean. And that's why he's wanting to introduce them to Jesus and how that all plan, that plan all works out. Okay, chapter two, let's start. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, you practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Now that word practice, that's an important word. That's an important word. Why? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But many in this room, you're saved by the grace of God. So that was your past life. Now you're not practicing sin. We're still sinners. Saved by God's grace, but we don't make it a practice like we used to. We're constantly asking God to help us get closer to him. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you sin less, but it makes you sin less, if that makes any sense. I hope that it does. Okay, verse two, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such Things. Now, these verses agree with Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. And it says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. That's that bucket of judgment from the title. That bucket of judgment. With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. (laughs) What kind of bucket will I have that's being measured out against me because I've judged people and that bucket has grown? You follow me? There's a bucket. You know, let's just imagine a bucket. And every time I judge someone, that bucket, something goes in there. Over a lifetime, that can be a pretty full bucket, huh? Now, if I turn around and do the same things I've judged somebody else for, that bucket gets used against me. I want that bucket to be full of grace. Not meanness, not hurt, not pain. I want it to be full of grace. So what does that mean that I need to be doing? I need to be showing grace. I need to be showing love. I need to be showing forgiveness. I need to be giving people a leg up, not trying to knock them off their legs. I need to be helping. I need to be a positive influence in the lives of other people. There he is in verse four. He says, now excuse me, verse three, and he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye? You could take away plank and put two by four in there or two by six or four by eights or whatever you want. Guy's got a little problem. We got somebody here that's got a little issue and yeah, it needs to change. But 
saddle up alongside of them and show them love and try to help them rather than condemn them. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, there's that plank of wood in your own. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now I'm just going to insert this in. It's, it's, it's in context but it's a little uh, on the side here and that is men and women, husbands and wives do not set up a standard for your spouse that you cannot live for yourself. What do I mean by that? The old, a woman's place is wherever she wants to be. <laughs> but you see, we can be raised with these, with these laws and these regulations and think, this is why it's supposed to be and this is the way it's supposed to be. Well, if you're requiring this of your spouse, what are you doing? It, it, you, do you have the same standard? Are you saying, you know, are you abiding by the same thing? Tell you what, it makes a whole lot of difference in our life when we quit doing that and we start thinking, am I asking something of them that I'm myself, I'm doing, but I don't want them to do? All right, we're gonna move on. Talking about the speck and the plank. I wanna read something to you. It's pretty... Uh, Harsh. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It's a little harsh, but I think it makes a good point. There was once a widowed trapper who lived deep in the Alaskan wilderness with his two-year-old son. On one occasion, the food supplies had run out, and the trapper was forced to go and catch some more food. The weather outside was so fierce, he reluctantly decided he had to leave his son behind and entrust the care of his son to his faithful dog. While outdoors, the weather got even worse and more violent, and the trapper was forced to take refuge overnight in a stand of trees. When the trapper returned the next morning, he got to the cabin to find the door open and the furniture overturned. A fierce struggle had taken place. There was no sign of his son and his dog lay in the corner looking at him guilty with blood all over his mouth. The trapper was deeply distressed and quickly figured out what had happened. The dog, without food, had turned on his son and killed him. Taking his axe from his side, the trapper violently killed his dog. Then he set about searching for some sign of his son. There was a small, still voice, a faint chance his son was still alive, and he was going to take that chance. And as he searched, he heard a faint cry coming from underneath the bed. And he tipped the bed up to discover that his son was there. There he was, unharmed, without a scratch or a drop of blood on him. The trapper flooded with grief. He gathered his son in his arms, but when he turned around, he saw a dead wolf laying in the corner of the cabin. Then the trapper realized why his faithful dog had been covered in blood. He was the one who had saved his son. Wow. It's just so easy to jump to conclusions, huh? so easy to assume we have the full truth when we don't. We see someone, we see the situation, we see the condition that they're in, and we make a quick judgment, but we have no idea what that person's been through. Not unless we do some research. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what's caused them to get to that point. Please understand that for the Christian, this doesn't mean we're never to evaluate the fruit in someone's life. I don't want, I don't want you to misunderstand and think, well, I should never judge anyone or anything. That's not true. That's not true. We're supposed to judge sin in our own lives first before we worry about it in somebody else's life. So it's always a good question to say, Lord, is there a lesson in this for me? What do you want me to know? How do you want to change me first before I speak into anybody else's life? 
So this is a warning against hypocrisy. It's a warning against judging others for the things that we ourselves are guilty of. And that was very common. Let me back up. It is very common in religion. Religion is not the same thing as a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why you can sit in a church for years and years and years and not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All you hear is about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and all the hoops that you need to do and all the classes you need to attend before you can be baptized, before you can be this, before you can do anything else. And then when it's all done, you feel guilty about everything because you never feel good enough about anything. And how could God love a person like me that's so full of sin? Guys, that's called grace. It's called mercy. God doesn't save us because we're good. In fact, it's just the opposite. If God only used people that were good and holy and righteous, there would be nobody here this morning. There would be nobody that cares about God, supporting anything about God, because he wouldn't be able to find a person like that. The only one that exists like that is Jesus Christ. That's why it's all about him. That's where our salvation lies. So basically what he's saying is here, there needs to be a self-evaluation before there's an other's evaluation. Have you ever cut someone off? Yep, sorry, Steve. (laughs) And yet, probably the next guy that cuts me off, I'll go, what an idiot. No, I hope I don't. I hope we grow from those kinds of things. But you see, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. So I can't be, I shouldn't be too hard on the next guy that, that pulls in front of me. Maybe he didn't see. Maybe he didn't understand. Maybe I could give you all kinds of reasons. All right, let's move on to verse four. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? He's back to writing this letter. His forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You know what? It's not all the hellfire and brimstone that leads you and I to repentance. It's hearing about God's love for us. How many times before you gave your life to Jesus Christ did you hear you were a sinner and you knew you were a sinner? You already knew. So for me, I'd go to church and hear what a miserable scoundrel I was and how much full of sin I was and I wasn't saved and I knew I was. But you know what changed me? is when I heard about God's mercy and grace and God's love. That's the kindness that leads us to repentance because when you look at a God like that, you go, what's not to love? A God that knows all about me and loves me anyway. A God that knows everything I've done and forgives me for everything that I've done. And offers me a new life. Gives me a new start in life. I don't think you've ever and I have ever known that kind of love apart from Jesus Christ. Because even as parents, we love our kids immensely. But we're just flesh and blood. And many of us look back and go, I wish I would have done that a little different. I wish I would have done that a little bit different. But God never has to look back and say, I wish I would have done that a little different. Because God doesn't make mistakes. But, look at verse 4. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, he's saying you're you're filling that bucket pretty full. Six, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Not your moms, not your dads, not your friends, not your brothers, not your sisters, yours. Yours. And I've heard many, many people talk about, you know, the sins of the father. Well, I don't think anybody could have sinned more than my father and maybe many of yours. But I don't have to answer for his sins. I got to answer for my own. And no matter how you were raised, you can change it if you let Jesus into your heart. Even on the way to church this morning, I was praying that prayer and I said, people need need healing. 
They need a fresh start. They need a change in their life. And God, you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can do it. We can't do it ourselves. Okay. Look at verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil in the Jew first and also in the Greek. God has to judge sin or he's not God. And you guys have heard me say many times, you tell your son to, to, to go clean up the room and they come out an hour later and the, the room's not cleaned. What do you do? I told you to clean your room. And some people even go as far as when their kids are little. You better stop that or I'm going to get up from here. And I'm going to whip your rear end. And sometimes that's three warnings, three warnings, three warnings, or four warnings, or five warnings. You know what? We just trained that kid that we don't even mean what we're talking about until number five. Right? God wouldn't be God if he doesn't judge the sin. So that's what he's saying. He's basically laying it out here right now that all sinned and fallen short of glory, the glory of God. And he's saying there's going to be a righteous judgment in those who have given their life to God They're going to pass through that. But the ones who haven't, they're going to have to answer for that. We don't have to give our life to Jesus. We can defend ourselves. We can be our own attorney, but that's a bad attorney. You don't don't want yourself as an attorney. Okay. Number nine, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to those who seek the Lord. Look at that last verse. There is no partiality with God. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? I love that. We're so always talking about inequality on some level or another. And sometimes we fight and we war over those things and then sometimes it gets worse than it was before. Because you're dealing with human beings. But with God, there is no partiality. I love that. Now he's talking about judgment here. He's just saying, look, these are the things I've asked you to do. You either accept Jesus or you don't. It's not about who you are as an individual it's about how you've lived your life and what choices you've made and whether or not you've accepted my free grace in Jesus Christ but there's also this other side and that is I don't know about you guys but you can get to a point where you think well I'm poor you know I'm poor or I'm this, or I live on this side of town and everybody else lives on that side of town or, you know, I had a dad that abused me or I had a, a mom that was abusive or I only had one, one person in the family or maybe I didn't have either parent. Maybe I was, I was raised in foster care. And, and here's the thing, God loves you no matter what. God loves you like his own. No matter what, no matter where you came from, no matter what the setting is, to me, I always refer to God as the great equalizer. Puts us all in the same bucket. And if we haven't given our life to Jesus, that's in one bucket. If we've given our life to Jesus, we're in another bucket. Scripture talks about the sheeps and the goats. There's going to come a time when he separates those. And those that have given their life to Jesus, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In 2 Peter 3, 9, if you would turn there, please. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, what does that mean? He doesn't favor anyone. The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. We yell, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And he's going, I still need to love on some more. I still need to love some more people into the kingdom. And we're going, yeah, but we want you to come back. And he's going, but I love these people and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So he's not slack concerning slackness like we count slackness. 
but he is long-suffering towards us. I think parents are long-suffering. Most parents are long-suffering. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> you got those kids, you're, you're gonna, they're going to be in your life a long time. Probably at least 18 years or so before they go off to college and then they're going to come home two or three times in the middle of, of after college. And no matter what, my wife and I still worry about our grown men children. <laughs> and then it goes to grandchildren. Parents are long-suffering. But when you compare that to God, that's a short amount compared to God. He is long suffering and he's not willing that anyone would perish. He wants them to come to repentance, to turn and go the right direction, to do the things that they need to do. So the point is, God gives us a lot of rope. A lot of rope. He's long suffering. How many years before you gave your life to Jesus? You don't have to tell me, but I'm guessing for most of us it was at least 20 years. For some, 30 or 40 years, some 50 years. Some people do it on their deathbed and give their life to Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. That's pretty long-suffering. But again, one thing is for certain. You will not be judged by your friend's sin, your dad's sin, your mom's, only our own. Notice that it's sin, not nationality. It's sin, not how much money you have. It's sin, no matter what side of town you live on. It's sin, doesn't matter the color of our, sin, of our skin. We're dealing with something spiritual here and God's saying there's a path of righteousness and there's a path of death. Okay. You can see Paul trying to get them all focused on what matters the most. He's trying to help them realize, why would you accept Jesus Christ if you don't admit you're a sinner? If you don't have a need, why would you receive Jesus? And that's what holds a lot of people back. They're well off. They live on the right side of town. They drive the right cars. They hang out with the right people. And they're going, who needs God? I got everything I need. Well, you're still going to have to talk to God eventually. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many who have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now he's talking specifically to the Gentiles and the Jews. The Jews had the law, right? They had all this list of do's and don'ts. And even with all the do's and the don'ts, they, don't, they didn't do the do's very often. They did the don'ts a lot and the same thing with the Gentiles the Roman Gentiles that are there he's gone you're going to be judged by the standard that you set up and if you haven't don't have a standard then you're going to be judged on your own now guys I want you to think about this could you prove could you prove if you were in a courtroom could you prove that you've never sinned is there enough evidence or would the evidence weigh towards you being a sinner? What would the verdict be if it was based on that? Guilty, right? Okay. So, look at verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God. We can go to church for years and years and years and hear it, right? Hear the word of God without making a change at all. So it's not just the hearers. But it is the doers. If you tell your son or your daughter to go out and mow the yard and uh, they hear you, but they don't do it, that requires some action on your part, doesn't it? And if you go back and you say, yeah, I heard you. Yeah, I heard you. Well, you haven't moved. You know, you heard me, but you haven't moved. So you heard me, but you're not a doer. And that's what he's saying. We could sit in church for years and not be a doer of God's word. We can sit and hear the message for years and not feel the conviction of God in our heart that says, Lord, I'm, I'm hopeless without you. I'm not gonna make it without you. I've missed too many of the hoops. So it's the doers who will be justified. Look at 14, for when Gentiles, 
It's talking about the non-Jew. When the Gentiles who do not have the law, the law of Moses, by nature they do the things in the law, these also, also, excuse me, these although not having the law are a law to themselves. In other words, they're Gentiles. They haven't been raised by the law of Moses, but when they come to know Jesus Christ, and when you came to know Jesus Christ, there was a conscience, there was a, the Spirit of God that filled you, and you began to know what right and wrong really was. It's not just a oops, everybody's doing it. You began to realize it was hurting God. And all of a sudden, there was a conscience inside of you that you never had before. People swearing began to bother you. People using the Lord's name in vain all of a sudden begins to bother you. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that sweet conviction of God's Holy Spirit to the Gentile who didn't have the law, but they're still obeying the law because they're a new relationship with the Lord. It says, when the Gentiles, when they don't have the law by nature, do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, they're a law to themselves. In verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Wow. Guys, let's admit it. Uh, probably, and I don't want to put you all in this classification, but probably we did some things that we just wouldn't want people to know. Or we, we wouldn't want to broadcast at least. And God says, don't spend your time on those. Don't beat yourself up over those for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. But you see some of these folks sitting in here in church and you love them. I don't want to know your past. (laughs) I mean, unless you want me to. But I want to love you for who you are, not who you were. And that's what we should be. And that's what we should do with folks is loving them for who they are now. So, I think we kind of discussed that, doing that intuitively because of the Spirit of God. And look at verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God, and know his will, and you approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. That's the best definition of religion I can think of. We think we got it all together. Think we got it all covered. But look at verse 21. He says, you therefore who teach another, do you therefore do it yourself? Do you teach yourself? Therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach to a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who hate idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Now, do you catch that? You catch that whole thing? Let's start with being a parent. Do you teach your children something that you yourself don't do? Do you condemn them and get mad at them? That's something perhaps you've taught them yourself. Sometimes parents swear before their children. And then all of a sudden the little two-year-old or three-year-old in the back seats. Somebody pulls in front of them. And you, you know, they're looking back like, you learned that at school? Oh, no, I learned that at home. I learned that at home. So it's talking about character here. Being a man or woman of 
noble character in Jesus Christ, honoring what he has done for us and letting him change us from the inside out. And he's talking here about the Jew first because he's saying you have the law. You have all of the prophets and all the teachers and everybody who's come along and told you what's right or wrong, but when the Messiah came, you missed it. You have the law, but you make excuses to get around the law, to do what you want to do. I'll show you one area where we do this all the time. Speeding. That chuckles because it probably applies to most of us. Some of you, maybe you stay right in that zone. But most people go, okay, the speed limit's 55. They won't stop me if I'm doing 60. Maybe 65, 68, 60. Right? So we can identify, can't we? Because we're all, we all, we're, all of us are imperfect. We can, we can see that. And he's basically saying, you guys, the, the Jews, he says, you have such a high standard that you want to judge everybody in the world, but you're robbing temples. You're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. So if you're going to, if you're going to live by the law, live by the law. Now, the indictment is in their practice. And guys, if we bring all of this, see how much time I got, if we bring all this to close, right, if we bring this to, to a place where we need to apply this in our own life, here's the thing. Does our practice follow our preaching? Now, you're not perfect. You're going to make a mistake. But are we trying to allow our practice to match up with our preaching? If I say that I'm a Christian, you know what an honor that is? You know what an honor it is to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Not ashamed of the gospel, but proud of the gospel. Yes, I'm a Christian. And I'll wear that badge proudly. Because no one ever in my life ever has shown me the kind of love and forgiveness that Jesus Christ has forgiven me and shown me. So I'll wear that. So he's basically saying, does your practice fall? All right. It must be consistency. And John, excuse me, James chapter 1 verse 21 says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes and then he walks away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. We all know what that's like, right? Everybody tries to look presentable in front of the mirror. Some of you are younger and it takes a lot less time. (laughs) But we try to look presentable. We try to... But the minute we walk away, if we forget that we're just a sinner saved by God's grace, we've missed the whole point. By the way, I've said this before, but... Do you guys know you never have really seen your face? What? You haven't seen your face. You haven't seen you like I see you. I haven't seen me like you see me. It's the opposite. Because of the way the mirrors are made. The way they're made and the reflection you see is changed. They even have these filters out now that'll show you whether or not your face is symmetrical and put it in the right... And you see people going, whoa. <laughs> it's time to look in the mirror. What kind of man am I? Am I a kind individual? Am I a loving person? Am I a forgiving person? Do I do my best to try to treat people with respect and honor? Got to be honest with yourself. If, if it doesn't start there, it's not going to happen anywhere else. So, let me close with this. God had made a covenant with Abraham. 
I am going to condense it here, this last part in Genesis. He made a, a covenant with Abraham. And he said, you know, if you'll let me be your God, I'll bless you beyond anything you could ever ask or think or hope, and you'll have descendants that go on forever. And one of the the marks of that was circumcision. That was a covenant between God and man. Now, at first, you might think, well, that's a little weird. Why would... Well, if you look at the symbolism of cutting away the flesh, we need to cut away the sin, the flesh in our life that causes us to go contrary to God. And we're not perfect people. That'll be a lifetime a lifetime uh, project as God grows us and changes us. But I want to read something to you out of Romans and I'm going to be done here. Out of Romans chapter 2, verse 25, it says, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, that circumcision means nothing. It's become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcision, but you're a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. You see, the other other part, just symbolic. It's symbolic of you and I making a decision, I want to follow Jesus. And I need to put away a lot of things. I need to cut some things out of my life. But he says, circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, I'm going to close with this. It's an opportunity every time you go to church, every time you hear a message, whether that's on the radio, with a pastor, with live teaching, there's an opportunity for you to go through that spiritual circumcision where you say, God, I don't want to be like this. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to fly off the handle all the time. I don't want to be so judgmental of other people. I don't want to let whatever's going on in the world affect me to, in not being a decent, kind human being. And I know I can't do that on my own because I've tried and tried and tried. I need you to fill me. I need you to come into my life.